Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. The latest tips and equipment to improve your game. The latest from the leaderboards and your favorite courses. This is Golf in the Northwest, an action-packed hour about everything golf. Brought to you on the fan by Laurelhurst Market, more than just your family neighborhood steakhouse. Now with award-winning PGA professional Harold Bluestein, here's your host, Jason Swigard. And a fine good morning uh, to everyone out there as we are in uh, week three of quarantine here. Harold's with us. We got him back in. He's all uh, nestled in his cozy little studio over there, all uh, wiped down for you. I really like it. I I have sprayed more alcohol in uh, in this studio than I think it's ever been sprayed in here. I mean, I've well, not that got sprayed in my mouth last night, but that's a different story. <laughs> I'm definitely I... gonna have to save that drop in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I, it, it's it's clean in here. You could you could eat your your breakfast off of this well, there you panel go. here. All right. So, well, we've got a busy hour for you. Uh, it's it's an odd time now. Everybody has come to the realization that things are not as uh, going to get back to normal anytime soon. Whatever normal might be. So the big kind of push and pull going on with the with the industry itself is uh when can golf courses just get back to operating normally doesn't look like that's going to happen anytime soon and for the professional tours they are in the process of trying to figure out if they need to cancel things completely and start over next season or is there a way to postpone the bigger events the major events into the fall and the winter and still cobble together something of a schedule and season for these events it's very difficult right now and on every level there's a lack of uh, clarity i would say uh and direction really don't know what to do. I can tell you that on a local level with the uh, the Oregon PGA, we've canceled events uh, basically through uh, the end of April. Um, we might have one or two yet that we have to cancel, but we're not having any pro-ams uh, coming up. Uh, we have an issue with uh, Washington and Oregon having two different yeah, sets of rules yeah. with regard to golf courses. Golf courses can be open in Oregon if they abide by all the social distancing rules. Washington has shut it down. Well, and I can tell you I'm concerned about Oregon. It's it's I, I like the fact that golf courses can be open. There can be a safe place. It's like a park. Go out. You, you can 
you can uh, social distance on a golf course, particularly you and I, because I hook it and you slice it. I exactly. wouldn't. I don't see you till I get to the green, well, and I'm done by the time not so you get there. Much anymore, because I got I've lost the gut. And now my rotation is a little quicker, so I'm hooking it left all the time. I'm a total disaster. Well, you've got a two-way miss, then. You can hit no, it right or left. Just warn yeah, me well, which way true. you're going before well, you I hit it. I wish I knew, but uh, <laughs> we'll work on that. Uh, we'll talk about uh, that. We're also going to discuss uh, with the weather forecast uh, improving this week. Uh, we expect to see now it's been – kind of manageable for golf courses that have stayed open in Oregon Mm -hmm. with the cold and the wet and the wind. So only the really hardy golfers, I think, have been out there. But getting up to the upper 60s sun, uh, the courses now are going to be tested as to the limits of the social distancing and all that. We'll get into that a little bit later. We do have some guests for you here this morning. Uh, David Phipps, our friend from the uh, Golf Course Superintendents Association of America, uh, is going to join us. He's uh, fortunately for us right here in Oregon City, uh, but he's been uh, working at the upper levels of that association and let you know uh, how this change, uh, a lot less rounds uh, going on with Washington being shut down. The golf courses aren't being played, so what that's allowing them to be able to do, what superintendents are allowed to do to try and maintain the courses with no rounds being played. Uh, And if you are going out in Oregon, what you need to be mindful of so you can keep the golf courses in good shape, we'll, we'll check in with him and also see how... Uh, the superintendents are are holding up if they're having, you know, the difficulty of golf courses are having to decide to mm-hmm. lay, lay off staff and what kind of pressures it's been put on the well, it's those an guys. It, I, I'm always interested in different perspectives of, of the, the various stakeholders in golf, uh, the superintendents, the owners, uh, the club uh, managers, uh, the PGA. What are we're all working to try working our way through this in a different way, and the uh, virus is impacting us all differently. Uh, so we try to communicate with one another on what's going on, and I know getting this information out to the public is a great public service that we can do. No question. And then Ted Bishop, uh, past president of the PGA of America, is going to join us at 8.30. Uh, David, will, or, uh, David will join us at 8.15. At 8.30, it'll be Ted Bishop. Uh, he was the 38th president of the PGA of America. Uh, he is back in his uh, home state of Indiana. He's a uh, founding partner, general partner of the Legends Golf Club out there in Indiana. Uh, but we'll get his thoughts on uh, kind of the industry overall uh, of golf, how this is affecting. Uh, he's He's been through a lot of different uh, issues, how it reacted in 9-11, the financial crash in 2008, uh, get his thoughts uh, on how this is impacting golf across the country, as well as, uh, you know, he started the Ryder Cup task force. Right. That was under his uh, leadership. And so the Ryder Cup this year, is it important to try and figure out how to play it? What if they can't play it? What do they do moving forward and how that affects the President's Cup and other sorts of things? So lots to talk with him about, too. Yeah, that's exciting. Uh, Here's a man who's been involved with golf for uh, 44, 45 years. and has been at the highest levels of the PGA of America, understands the issues that are involved and the challenges being in that position. And so he's been at the forefront of employment changes uh, 
and all sorts of changes through the PGA, how we're trying to effectively serve our members better and the public better. And so getting his perspective uh, is is just going to be great. So he'll join us at 830, uh, 845. We didn't give you a chance to uh, tee off on Brandlesheen and Blee last week, so I want to make sure you get that opportunity. I got after. a little in. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll go off again. And Ted might have some thoughts, too, being right. a longtime PGA of America member. Uh, Vincent Johnson was scheduled to join us, uh, but uh, uh, last-minute scheduling conflict. He, he apologizes, but we're working to uh, have him join us. We know the uh, City of Portland courses are, are open. He was working very hard last week to uh, – um, take the necessary measures at a few of their facilities so that they can accommodate people who want to play and do so safely for everybody. So it was easier to kind of shut them down, each one individually for a day or two and get everything taken care of. But uh, as far as we know, I think they're all open now, all five uh, facilities for the city of Portland parks. So hopefully next week uh, we're making plans for him to join us. Yeah, that'll be uh, interesting to hear from Vincent. Uh, you have uh, five different golf courses, five different demographics. Yep. Uh, they all operate uh, differently. Uh, some have uh, lease agreements. Some are run by the city. Uh, it's a very uh, complicated issue, and I'd like to hear what Vincent has to say about why they've chosen to be open and how they are, are maintaining the CDC uh, guidelines. No question. So uh, we will uh, get to all of that here today. But uh, the big news uh, from the tours, we're starting to see postponements. We're starting to see, especially the bigger events. There was report midweek that the RNA was going to cancel the 149th Open Championship at Royal St. George's. Uh, the RNA has said, hang on, we're still trying to see what other options. There's now a report that they're looking to delay that, possibly the middle of September uh, from a Golf Week report. Uh, the other majors are trying to find windows. We're hearing the Masters might be in November. Can the Ryder Cup be played? Uh, and if all of these events, the LPGA Tour, they've moved the U.S. Women's Open to December now, uh, playing in Houston. And so the question is for at some point, and this is assuming at some point in summer or fall, everything is able to, to be resumed and we start getting back to normal. It's kind of crazy uh, for the women. They've lost... Uh... 14 events. Yeah, they lost. That's huge. They started in early with January, February, March events that were scheduled for Southeast Asia. Right. Where the virus uh, outbreak was uh, much earlier on. They canceled those out of safety. And then as it spread across the globe, then everything has been pushed back here. So the ANA uh, has been pushed back. That's the first major for them, the former Dinosaur uh, Invitational. And so uh, they're still working on. And the question is, at what point, when do they need to know something that they can start making plans to actually resume play before they have to totally scrap the 2020 schedule and just start over again next year? Well, I think the LPGA has taken a very conservative uh, approach to this. Their first event won't be till June. So they've really put it off where the, the PGA is saying, well, we're going to be back in May or hoping to be back in late May uh, at the Charles Schwab Challenge in Fort Worth. Um, it, it's very difficult for them to make any decisions. Uh, you were talking about the Ryder Cup and the U.S. Open or the British Open. 
the British Open is kind of stuck. There's not a, they don't have a whole lot of options, and the Ryder Cup has absolutely no options. Yeah, uh, they they have uh, contracted with Whistling Straits. Uh, there's so many moving parts just to to have that get that done that they are really sitting on the fence, waiting to see what the four majors are going to do first. It appears from uh, what I'm reading that the the U.S. Open will be in uh, October. Well, let me backtrack here. They're going to keep try and keep the British Open in September, September seventeenth uh, to the twentieth, yeah. and then run the Ryder Cup the the week, the week after. after, and then in October the U.S. Open. Now, where would the U.S. Open be played? Because the other problem is, is Winged Foot was closed. New York closed everything, just right. shut it down, and there was still actual uh, construction on the course that needed to be completed. As uh, so, they may not be able to get in and finish that. Absolutely, and depending on when in October, that could be a problem. If you recall any uh, World Series with the Yankees playing in. Yankee Stadium in October, you know that it can be pretty cold and ugly. I would imagine they're going to look at Torrey Pines, which will um, host 2021 U.S. Open, or uh, Pebble Beach. Uh, Those two venues are are accustomed to hosting. Uh, Then we're looking at, that's October, November. They're thinking of the the Masters in November, uh, which would be very interesting. And then what about the PGA? The PGA is going to be the first major, based on what they're hmm. tentatively, the first major of the year will be in August, taking the Olympic dates. Ah. The PGA of America will have uh, the PGA well, Championship. scheduled for Harding Park in San Francisco. Correct. And and it appears, well, playing in August uh, in uh, will be great, at, uh, oh, so good at that yeah, time. The, the no weather issues there in San Francisco at that time of year. <laughs> You know, there's weather issues everywhere. No kidding. Can you imagine uh, the the change of playing the Masters in November as opposed to playing in in the spring is is really monumental. They think the golf course will be in just as good a shape. The grasses may be different. Uh, there's more rain in later in the year. Uh, but they think that the golf course yeah. could be in good shape. So that's kind of what they're looking at, and this is all assuming that – uh, things ease up and start to improve and allow life to start uh, getting back going here by mid to late May. Yeah, all of this may be moot. Yeah, uh, yeah. we look at college football. I yeah, mean, I know. That, that's probably done for the year. There's a good uh, good thought, or college football could be extremely different. So it's a big – they got to be making plans. They have to be ready when things start to turn around and are allowed to start to re-engage. they got to be ready to go, but everything's got to be on a rolling calendar. So the meetings go on every day, Yeah, a reassessment, and uh, all of this is a fluid situation. So that's what you're looking at. But uh, it looks like all the major tours trying to figure out how to get their biggest events in uh, sometime this calendar year. Uh, when we come back, our friend David Phipps of the Golf Course Superintendents Association of America. He's right here in Oregon City. We'll find out what uh, he's been up to and how the golf courses uh, are being maintained, some being played, 
very little, some not being played at all, what that means uh, for their health overall as we continue on. It's Golf in the Northwest on 1080 The Fan. 8-17 here this morning. Jason Swigard, Harold Bluestein uh, with you. Ted Bishop, former president of the PGA of America, going to join us uh, coming up in our Ask the Pro segment. But uh, right now joining us, very pleased to have uh, returning to the show, David Phipps. Uh, he is a former superintendent out at Stone Creek Golf Club out there in Oregon City. Uh, past president of the Oregon uh, Golf Course Superintendents Association chapter and uh, a former Oregon Golf Association Superintendent of the Year. Now does education uh, traveling around the country uh, with uh, superintendents and uh, is very familiar with the first green program. Uh, but uh, assuming you are well, my friend, uh, hanging out, uh, self-quarantining out there in Oregon City, how you holding up? I'm doing great, you know, just kind of getting used to the new norm, uh, you know, dry hands and long hair, you know, that's kind of the way things are going. <laughs> <laughs> well, your, your, your Twitter buddy, uh, Swag here, is uh, happy to have you on the show. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to ask you, David, uh, we had a conference call yesterday, the, uh, the Oregon Golf Alliance, and uh, we were talking about the different perspectives that the associations are, are uh have with regard to the uh, coronavirus. And I, I was fascinated by your input from a superintendent standpoint. Uh, can you share how this is impacting golf courses that are both open and closed? Yeah, you bet. You know, just kind of going back to when these executive orders started coming out from the gov various governor's offices, I think a lot of the original ones Earlier ones started out in Philadelphia and, and Indiana and places like that. And so our staff, you know, field staff around the country, Red Evans, executive director with GCSAA and some of our government advocacy team, you know, we spent the weekend helping these states craft some letters to help clarify whether golf maintenance will be allowed to continue as an essential activity. And we've been successful in I think about 48 states so far. We're still questioning up in Minnesota and in uh, Michigan, I believe. But you know, even in Washington State where golf is closed, um, Ensley is allowing golf maintenance to uh, occur at a minimal uh, standard. So we feel like that was the, big, the biggest push in communication that we wanted to convey you know, in terms of this whole shutdown and all this stuff. Then on, on the other side of the coin as well, you know, we are also part of a, a, a bigger group called WAG, or We Are Golf Coalition, that uh, helps uh, promote golf uh, with, you know, it's a lobbying effort that we do in D.C. and everything else. And, you know, we're part of that as well, and we're going to support golf in any way we can. So being a part of that uh, coalition, we're going to you know, stand behind, put our, put our letterhead on the, on the letters and things like that and to help clarify the positions on whether golf can be played or not as well. So we, we actually took an active part in that as well. Not to be confused with, you know, hey, we're out there promoting golf, thinking everybody's needing to get out there, because you know, there's so many mixed views on whether we should be playing golf or we should not be playing golf, and, you know, that, that, that's, that's a whole other issue there. But our point is just to support the coalition. That, you know, if, if golf is allowed to play, and if it's a decision that's up to each particular golf course, whether they want to remain open or closed, which we've seen here in Oregon, and that's where everything's working just fine, um, then that's the way we should go, and we support that. So um, one way or the other, you know, we're just there to support, you know, the community, the golf course superintendent to help them make sure that they can have the tools to maintain their golf course through the shutdown. Because 
you know, if we stop maintaining these golf courses for any period of time and we're trying to maintain that low height of cut, if it grows out of that, then to try to bring that back down will take a, a lot of time and it could put uh, a damper on the season moving forward after this whole thing is over. Well, in that regard, uh, so many courses uh, in Clark County in the Vancouver area that uh, so many of our listeners play regularly, what what does uh, the minimal maintenance, what do those guys need to be out there, getting out there and be able to do so that uh, when they can open up to the public again or their members, uh, the courses will be in playable shape? You know, a lot of them right now are just you know, because of the budget constraints. So they're now down t- kind of a skeleton crew. And so they're having to, to do the minimal effect to kind of stay out to, to keep the golf course up. And, and a lot of things we'll forego perhaps are like bunkers. We're not going to rake bunkers daily. We might just be raking bunkers just for perhaps weed cultivation if any weeds grow up in the bunkers or whatever. Um, maybe a, an edge once in this whole shutdown perhaps. I don't know. But, you know, we're trying to mow greens maybe max maybe three times a week. You know, fairways once a week if we have to. You know, watching our fertility for one thing. We don't want to jump out there and put a big spring fertilization down on the on the fairways and the rough and have to be chasing that tall grass all the time. So we're probably going to cut back on the fertility, maybe hold that off for a little bit or just spoon feed, if you will. Um, so, you know, there's sometimes some of these courses are just down to the superintendent and the assistant doing all the work. So they're out there. Maybe they'll just roll the greens one day and, or just, you know, keep the dew off. Um, mow them just very little as little as they can you know well those of us who have played golf for a long period of time know that in the springtime and in the fall we do aeration on the on the greens is any of that being done oh absolutely you know i know that was one of the first things they're doing out at stone creek i talked to tyler out there the superintendent and you know they jumped on that and got that all taken care of and um you know, when they're, when they're, you know, there's no time constraint to not being chased by golfers, and so they can take their time and really do a thorough job. I'll tell you, I just actually did a reply to a tweet up for uh, Tacoma Country Club, Joel Kashmerik up there, and he was doing some work on a green up there and how, how, how solid it's going to look. And my point was there's going to be a lot of golf courses that are going to look pretty darn good after this whole thing because there's been no play for weeks. So it's kind of like pushing the reset button on these golf courses. So you're going to see a lot of brand-new golf courses in mint condition opening up when this whole thing is over. So we all have that to look forward to. Well, you will in Washington, but in Oregon, they have been busy. Uh, and so are the superintendents working with smaller crews and, and just having to do the same amount of work in Oregon? Uh, yeah, they're still working with smaller crews um, because, you know, there isn't, well, they are still getting some income. I think a lot of them are just kind of prolonging maybe their seasonal hiring. So they're working with uh, maybe a crew of eight or six. You know, they, they can still get it done. David Phipps is our guest, Golf Course Superintendent Association of America, uh, longtime uh, member here in Oregon, former uh, superintendent out at Stone Creek Golf Club there in Oregon City. For uh, people going out and playing here in Oregon with with the crews maybe uh, pared down a little bit, uh, we know most places uh, the the they've been made, they're either raising cups up, uh, they're taking the rakes out of the bunkers, those sorts of things. What do players need to be aware of to be as friendly for uh, those superintendent crews so they can uh, not have to do anything unnecessary uh, to keep things going? How, how can they be helpful out there on their rounds, things that they might not normally uh, tend to if, if everything was going normal? Yeah, great, great question. You know, we've done a lot, of, put a lot of safeguards in place. I know they've been pulling in 
ball washers or putting bags over the ball washers. We just ask you not to use these things, to reduce the touching of things to the most you can. You know, um, if the flags are in, but they've got maybe an elevated cup, or sometimes they're putting um, like those little floaty snuggly hoses, they'll cut those off and put that over the flag stick, and so the ball won't go to the bottom of the cup, so you can just grab it. Um, don't don't pull the pin out. Don't touch the pin. Just leave the pin alone. Leave the pin in. Like it's legal now, we can do that. But minimize the touching as much as possible. Um, and when you're at the golf course, you know, as you're if you're golfing, you know the the law states or the governor's office would like everybody, you know, no more gatherings of more than ten in one place. So if you're after if you're done playing golf, you know, let's get to your cars and let's get out of there. Let's not congregate around the parking lot. Let's not have a tailgater out in the parking lot. Let's not bend the rules because we're going to spoil it for the rest of the people in Oregon. You know, we're, we're pretty lucky to be able to still play this game and enjoy the game of golf, you know, with our social distancing in place. So, you know, just, you know, make it as good as possible. And, you know, try not to, you know, I understand the fact that we all have to have beverages or, you know, drinking water on the course. If you can minimize the trash that you have to bring to the golf course, that would be fine too. That just puts the, the maintenance department a little bit less um, acceptable to having to touch things that other people have touched. Well, about half the golfers don't know why rakes are in the bunkers anyway, so removing them wasn't a problem. The, exactly. <laughs> what's this rake doing here? So <laughs> I wonder what they, why they left that. They, uh, <laughs> but uh, an issue would be restrooms, so maintenance has to concern itself with those also, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, just, you know they're finding themselves actually stepping up their uh, sanitation game. Um, most, a lot of restrooms are just closed. They're, they're closed out. So I think, unfortunately, we'll be seeing a lot of trees being used out there. And that's, that's always to be done at the discretion of the golfer, of course. You know, but, you know, it's not something you want to be doing out in the middle of, uh, you know, a city golf course or something. You know, so I just caution you there. Um, I had a good talk with uh, Jerry Flaherty, the superintendent up at, in Sun Valley, Idaho. And Ketchum, Idaho, believe it or not, has the highest rate of infection in the country. One out of every 60 people in that community has got the coronavirus. And, wow. And it's really scary. But he's really stepped up to the game for his crew. You know, he staggered them at 15-minute start times. Uh, him and his pro had developed a, a program that they use called uh, Task Tracker. And they're able to have all their schedules and everything put up, and, and, and their crew members can access it on their phones. So they can communicate on their phones as far as what's being done, when they're doing it, and everything else. And they can track their labor. And so they don't have to have face-to-face -face meetings. But they will do a Zoom meeting in the evenings once, once a week just so everybody can touch base. But everybody has their job. They go out and do their thing, and they come back in, and they're gone. And they're doing six-hour shifts, 30 hours a week, just kind of keeping things going. Well, so, they, you know, it's a scary thing. Yeah, they are the unsung heroes right now, keeping things going here in Oregon. David Phipps, uh, Golf Course Superintendent uh, Association of America here with the Northwest Chapter. Uh, glad you are doing well, sir. Uh, sir uh, stay home, stay safe, and uh, hopefully uh, sooner than later we can uh, get back to uh, full-blown uh, activities out there at our courses. But uh, thanks to you and your staffs uh, all across the country for uh, uh, keeping things going here, at least in Oregon and other states for now. Yeah, you bet. And thank you guys for the show and, you know, providing this information to everybody out there. This has been great. You bet. David Phipps there. Thanks so much for joining us. And uh, you can follow him on Twitter at GCSAA underscore NW. Uh, 
Uh, he's doing a lot of work and keeping in touch with uh, all the superintendents around uh, the Northwest region. So uh, we appreciate uh, him joining us here. That's quite an effort on his part because every region of the country, even in the Northwest, we have a lot of different climates. And so the golf courses in different parts of the Northwest are having different issues, uh, not only with the coronavirus, but overall maintaining their golf courses. No question. We'll continue the discussion about the industry. Ted Bishop, former president of the PGA of America, will join us next as we make the turn here. It's Golf of the Northwest on 1080 The Fan. Tips for your game from award-winning PGA instructor Harold Bluestein. It's time to Ask the Pro on Golf in the Northwest. Brought to you on The Fan by Laurelhurst Market. 831 here this morning, Golf of the Northwest. Center and Saint will follow us at 9. And uh, then another uh, OSN Classic at 11 a.m. this morning. uh, As you can relive the 2014 Civil War. Uh, For those of you that just, uh, you need to feel, maybe you're out in your garage, you're working, you're doing those home projects that you put off forever. And you can have a little uh, game action in the background there, uh, Ducks and Beavers in 2014. Uh, you know what? I've been watching Shell's Wonderful World of Golf. Oh, yeah. I've got a bunch of them on. And I just love seeing Gene Saracen and, and uh, who else? Uh, Roberto DiVicenzo oh, and these guys go. play. The game was so different then. And, and it, you know, Roberto busts a drive down the fairway 260 yards. <laughs> That's a five iron now. So uh, it's, it's, it yes. was a different game. It was a different game uh, back then. And one of the men who has helped transition the game uh, over the years joins us now. Uh, the 38th president of the PGA of America, currently the general manager, one of the uh, founders of the Legends Golf Club out in Indiana. Very pleased to have returning to the show, Ted Bishop. Good morning, Ted. Uh, how are things going uh, uh, for you through, the, through these interesting times? And uh, how are things uh, back, uh, back in the Midwest? Well, you know, I think it's uh, crazy here like it is everywhere, guys. And, uh, you know, our governor is instituted a uh, stay-at-home order through uh, the 1st of May. And uh, fortunately for golf courses, um, at least in my part of the state, uh, he has deemed uh, outdoor recreation to be an essential activity. So as long as we, um, you know, adhere to the proper social distancing standards and sanitize our golf cars and go with single riders and don't let people touch pins and just do all the things that from a common sense standpoint uh, you need to do right now. We've been able to open up. So, um, you know, we've been extremely busy, but, you know, it's just you, you kind of take it uh, week to week. You just don't know when the landscape could change. Uh, Ted, we've been through 9-11 and 2008 housing bust and, 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 and hurricanes and all sorts of things. This is a pandemic is its effect on golf is considerably greater, isn't it? Well, it, it really is. And I did a story for uh, morningread.com a couple of weeks ago about, you know, what the uh, landscape of public golf could look like when this is all said and done. And, and you know, in our part of the country, and probably this is true for you guys out there, um, you know, we're coming out of our off-season or non-revenue months. And, and I'll talk uh, specifically about public courses right now. So, you know, many golf courses are at the end of their their credit lines. We've we've gone through that four or five month stretch where we haven't had much revenue at all. And uh, you know, these would be the prime months that the cash flow would change, and you know, and and things would would turn around. So you know, if there's any 
sustained closings um, in in many parts of the country in public golf, uh, the landscape could look uh, totally different in two or three months because it could be the knockout punch that a lot of uh, operators and owners of, of public golf courses just can't can't uh, sustain. And there is a problem with food and beverage. Are you available, uh, or is your your restaurant available to serve? Yeah, we you know we do, and uh, you know that's a great question because the uh, you know really all we're doing right now are um, are, are hot dogs and, and a lot of you know packaged um, food like candy and crackers and and soft drinks and you know canned beer and. You know, the alcohol sales have been good, but if I put a per capita revenue number to what, uh, you know, we would take in, I've got 27 holes yesterday. Uh, we played uh, 370 players, and, uh, you know, I think we did less than $1,000 in F&B, which is, you know, way below what, you know, we would have done, uh, you know, per head with that kind of traffic. Uh, and, you know, with the social distancing standards, and, you know, in my operation, we set up two check-in terminals, uh, and they're about 60 feet apart. And quite honestly, you know, we don't encourage people to <laughs> to stick around in the building. So, you know, we're we're probably going out of our way to discourage them from buying anything in the golf shop and the snack bar as well. Ted Bishop is our uh, guest, former president of the PGA of America uh, out in Indiana at the Legends Golf Club, where he's the general partner and founder there. And so the industry itself, you mentioned uh, uh, Oregon here. We're in a unique spot right on the border between Oregon and Washington. Washington has shut it down. Oregon is uh, similar to Indiana, where uh, courses are allowed to be open as long as they comply with the uh, social distancing. But uh before and coming into kind of when things pick up what how long uh of a shutdown could the industry sustain before it becomes a serious issue of okay is golf as we know it going to continue on a public basis or is it going to retract to just private clubs Oh, you know, I think that's a that's just a great question, and uh, and you know, obviously, the one thing private clubs have going for them is they have, you know, they have dues, and they have members that you know, most likely, most of them will continue to pay dues. But you know, when you're in public golf and your cash register is dormant, and then you're also faced with the expense of doing something to continue to maintain your golf course, which you have to do, even when you're closed. I mean, you've got to you got to mow your your greens and your tees and your fairways and your roughs, and you got to spray these things with, uh, you know, with chemicals as the warmer months, uh, you know, uh, you know, get everywhere in the country, and we face, you know, disease uh, activity and things like that. So, um, you know, it's uh, I, I can't answer that question. And the other thing that's frustrating too, you know, golf has not had a great track record when it comes to getting federal assistance. And I go back to Hurricane Katrina. And, uh, you know, when that hit the, uh, you know, the southern part of the United States very hard, particularly the Louisiana area, and, and you know, golf courses were lumped in with uh, massage and tattoo parlors and were excluded from any kind of federal relief through the uh, Disaster Relief Act. And, uh, you know, so I know I, me, I'm sure like many other people out there, um, you know, yesterday was the first day where you could file for this uh, payroll restitution on these SBA loans. And, you know, my bank is, is telling me that probably only one of every 20 applications are actually going to be accepted. So, 
I know that we've passed this federal stimulus and we've got all this money out there to, uh, to help people out with. I know that we did that for the airline industry, but we didn't do anything for the restaurant industry, which has really taken a huge hit in the last month. So I, it, it remains to be seen, you know, how it's all going to play out. And there's no question it's a very scary time for uh, Americans. Well, and we've talked a bit about the uh, facility issues uh, going forward, but this has a ripple effect throughout the entire industry. So when you say that you've discouraged people going into the pro shop, now we're talking about products and and the fact that we've uh, we've brought in products in the spring. We've got deliveries of golf clubs and and golf balls, and we can't sell them to anybody. Yeah, you're exactly right. I've got eight thousand dollars of Maverick drivers <laughs> in oh, my shop right now. That you know, given the uh, economic climate, the uncertainty, uh, you're not going to sell a lot of $500 drivers these days. But, you know, I can only speak to, I'm a Callaway master staffer, and I know, you know, they've moved, they've already moved their dating back, you know, for us on when those bills are due, which is nice. But, uh, yeah, it's just, it's crazy. Well, the other thing, you were part of uh, creating the the Ryder Cup task force uh, under your presidency. Uh, we're seeing the majors starting to reshuffle the calendar in preparation for when they might be able to resume. But as far as the Ryder Cup goes, scheduled for Whistling Straits uh, in September, uh, if we start to encroach upon that date and we're still not back to normal, what what does the Ryder Cup have to? There's so many parts to this. Uh, what are the options that it could go through? Obviously, after 9/11, they just moved it back an entire year. Is that something that would be uh, under consideration, or how could they uh, keep the Ryder Cup intact if they've got to postpone or delay it? Yeah, you know, I think if all the major championships are canceled, and uh, you know, I had Tom Watson uh, join our local ESPN affiliate this week and he talked about the masters and, and I, I don't, after hearing Tom talk, I don't think he honestly believes that the masters is going to be played this year. So, you know, if, if all the majors wind up getting canceled, um, I just don't see how the Ryder cup um, is, is probably not going to be a fatality as well. Although the timing of when it's scheduled to be played is certainly uh, that that's advantageous uh, in, in making that happen. And, you know, at the end of the day, uh, if that winds up being the only major golf event that is played, then that might be a good thing um, at, at that part of the year, you know, for golf in general. But I would assume um, they won't cancel this. If they can't play it in 2020, then you would have to think it'll get rescheduled to 21. The President's Cup will move back a year, and, and uh, you'll see the same thing happen that happened, uh, you know, when 9-11 hit. Ted, you have contributed mightily to growing the game from a PGA perspective, and we have been really working hard here in the Northwest to do so also with uh, the Junior Golf Leagues and and Drive, Chip, and Putt. Uh, Coming out of this, hopefully we will, uh, what's the next step the PGA uh, can take or the PGA professional? Well, you know... um the PGA Junior League has grown by leaps and bounds, and I know I've got a great female head professional, Crystal Morse, um, you know, here at the Legends, and you know her. Really, the PGA Junior League is the foundation of her entire junior program, which involved about 300 kids last year. And 
she was very creative and actually uh, started a, a PGA Junior League for kids six and under, and she's also done the PGA Junior League um, for those who are over 13, and, and uh, she's been clever in how she's modified the formats to fit all those different age and, and skill ranges. But the, the problem that she's got right now, and we've got a ton of kids that already signed up for these, is obviously with um, everything being shut down and the uncertainty of knowing when we can fire these programs up, um, you know, it's just really difficult to get any kind of a feel for what we we can do here in, in 2020. And, uh, um, you know, I, I also coached the high school golf team, and we just had our, um, our boys' season was just canceled. All spring sports were canceled this week, and, Indiana, and uh, there's just so much that's up in the air right now. I think everybody is just taking this thing week to week. It's it's hard to even talk about um, and answer that question again, just not knowing what what you're looking at uh, two or three months down the road. Ted Bishop, uh, kind enough to take some time for us this morning, uh, past president of the PGA of America. He's out there at the Legends Golf Club. Uh, now uh, in Indiana trying to uh, keep things going. We appreciate uh, the time. I know you're dealing with a lot of the same things uh, our, our industry's dealing with out here in, in Oregon and Washington. And uh, like everyone else, we hope this is uh, more temporary than uh, permanent and uh, somehow things can uh, turn around before the season gets too far away from everybody. Uh, thank you so much, and uh, hopefully we'll have the opportunity to chat with you again uh, about uh, better times and uh, coming back out of this. Hey, I always enjoy talking to you guys. Stay safe out there. You too, Ted. Ted Bishop, uh, former president of the PGA of America, kind enough. And, and yeah, that's, I think, the biggest uh, issue is just the uncertainty of understanding how long this this is going to go on yeah i kind of put him on the spot a little bit about what the future might hold as far as uh growing the game uh and i i could almost expect what his uh his uh or assume what his answer would be is that uh we prepare uh for things when it does pass yep uh, but it's really very difficult to do that because you want to be ready when the time comes, but at the same time, you don't know when that time is coming. Uh, you have to prepare as if everything is going to recover just the way it was. Unfortunately, that may not be the case. And we, uh, we all hope that that is not the case. Thanks again to Ted for joining us. When we come back, uh, Brandel Chambly a couple weeks ago took a shot at uh, PGA instructors and uh, Harold uh, would like to uh, be allowed to retort. We'll get that here as we continue on. Golf of the Northwest on 1080 The Fan. 847 here wrapping things up on another edition of Golf of the Northwest Center in St. to follow us and then a, a reprisal of the 2014 Civil War for our OSN Classics uh, for you at 11 o'clock today. Thanks again uh, to both uh, David Phipps and Ted Bishop for joining us earlier here. But uh, in the business of uh, golf today, uh, it was a couple of weeks ago, Brandel Chambly, I don't know if it was on Twitter, I don't know if it was on Golf Channel anyway, uh, he of, he's, he's golf's version of the uh, hot take artist there uh, currently. Yeah, uh, he's now that Gary McCord's no longer uh, on the air, unfortunately. Yeah. But uh, but uh, taking, taking a few maybe low blows about uh, the state of golf instruction, PGA of America, uh, longtime teachers, 
Uh, I don't know what his uh, what his agenda was in that regard, uh, but it seemed to come out of nowhere. And yeah, I have I no idea why he would go there at all because the relationship between the media and the uh the PGA professional, many of them are, uh, and all of them are top 100 teachers that he was referring to. Um, they have to have a good relationship. He's, although uh, most of the teachers say that they never see Brando Chambly on the range. Uh, Gary Koch is out there all the time, yeah. and and quite a few of the uh, of the media people because they want to know more about what's going on. Brando seems to uh, uh, sit in, on, in an ivory tower and, and pass judgment on things that he knows nothing about or pretends to know something about. Um, but it was really a poor choice of words that he used. Um, I don't know. I don't feel comfortable um, repeating it here. You might. Uh, but uh, well, I I don't think we need to go back. I mean, he but it was, it was a sexist statement, and in, yeah. in the way in which he said it, and he threw it at the professionals, and then his apology was on Twitter. Now I don't know why um, the Golf Channel didn't insist on him making a public statement. Um, since when is Twitter a a viable uh, yeah. apology platform? I don't think it is. Um, I mean, it's it's just not. I think he should have come right out and said right on, on the air, you know, I apologize for what I said. I was poor choice of words. He might stand by his opinion on on the instructors. That's neither here nor there in a way, although the fact that he was attacking um, the PGA professional, I think, is really not very nice. We're we're yeah. out there busting our butts trying to develop players, and almost everyone on the tour uh, has been taught by a PGA professional and not by Brandel Chambly. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, his choice of words, whatever. I, you know, being on the air all the time and for sensationalism, I'm not going to get into that nonsense. I think it was more about uh, why he thinks – uh, you know, instruction or what constitutes instruction today is not relevant, which was the gist of what he was saying. It's, you know, it's, it's irrelevant as to the development of any, you know, individuals don't need it or they can get instruction without spending all that money and time somewhere else. And it's just as good, which I find. Well, that, that, yeah, that was outrageous. Uh, it, let's first, number one, accept the fact that instruction has changed. Uh, I'm a different teacher today than I was when I first started 40 years ago teaching. Uh, I'm a much better teacher now. Technology has made me a better teacher. Uh, and, and just the uh, sharing of ideas uh, has been uh, instrumental in making me a better teacher and others. There are certain things that uh, ball flight laws and things like that that we understand better today than we did 40 years ago. We understand them differently. We can't say the golf swing has changed all that much, uh, but our understanding and our method of teaching it uh, has changed. Does it make players better? Y you can say yes or no uh, and argue that fact. We hope it does make players better uh, through our efforts. Um, but I think... Uh, there's no substitute 
for a one-on-one experience with a qualified instructor. Uh, You can get ideas off the Internet, and those are like – they're not tattoos. There's nothing there that's going to last. It's just, you know, it's a a nice little sweet uh, morsel that's going to work for a week, uh, may work longer. Um, If you don't understand it in a context of the total swing, the holistic approach to uh, swinging better or playing better, then it's just not going to last. A good instructor can give you that holistic approach and say, the reason we're working on this certain position or in this certain manner is because it will affect other things down the road. And uh, you don't get that in a two-minute uh, YouTube soundbite. Uh, you'd have to stay on YouTube night and day for uh, weeks yeah. on end to understand where a particular instructor is going with the information he's given you. No, that's not to say there are, you know, obviously there are outstanding instructors. There are those who, you know, just in any industry, there are some who have their method and they're just trying to churn it through to make as much money, you know, doing that. That's any industry anywhere, but you've been, you have been here in the Northwest uh, trying to, uh, for years, make the coaches better uh, through instruction and, and looking at things differently and coaching the coaches uh, for a number of years. What what has, where has it come in the last 20 years and what do you think uh, the coaches, how can they better instruct or better get in tune with individual players and developing them from novice beginner to the accomplished uh, a- amateur player. Well, I'll tell you, uh, and my opinion on this has changed uh, in the last two years, but uh, you have to understand the person in front of you. To be a good instructor, it's not only listening, but it's observing. So listening to the player and how they understand what the information you're giving them and how they manifest that into a physical action, uh, that takes uh, keen observation. But what I'm noticing now is that we've been asking players uh, and students to do things that they were physically unable to do. And so the idea of introducing TPI or or any uh, yoga, whatever, into instruction, I think, is critical. And understanding it as an instructor so you can pass on some uh, simple exercises and things to do so that when a player attempts what you're uh, trying to help him with, he's not going to injure himself, and he understands it. If he injures himself or he's unable to do it because he physically can't, then you really risk the um you risk losing that student they'll stop listening saying you know i can't do this uh well of course you can't because your body isn't hasn't been trained and uh, you physically can't do it because of you know your physical makeup so i think uh and i i can't say that i am in the pinnacle of teaching other teachers i i'm right in the uh i'm right there in the trenches with them sharing ideas with them we had bruce Furman on recently yep. and and his approach and, and here's a marvelous teacher uh and you have bruce stewart uh at stone creek these are great instructors uh bob duncan has been on the air with us uh and they do approach teaching from 
an observational point of view and they understand the player in front of them. Uh, and that's, that's so important as an instructor to first realize you're, you're teaching a human being, so you need to be in connected with them. No question. And obviously now not being able to, to be as hands-on, that was something we talked with Bruce uh, uh, last week. Uh, instructors now trying to figure out how to impart information and instruction to them, whether it be more in video sort of situations. Maybe they're at home in front of a mirror and you can do a Zoom thing. So this will help that as well coming out of it uh, the longer that we're in this situation. So it's it's ever evolving. Well, I I think there's a great value in virtual teaching. So let's not, I'm not throwing this this out and saying it doesn't. I think this is going to force everybody to get better and more in tune with it. Yeah, you've got some good instructors giving some uh, Sean Lanny, for instance, giving some really good virtual uh, instruction and coaching uh, online. So there you go. Uh, so take that, Brandel Chambly. Uh, call your local instructor, and when we get back to this, uh, go out and get some lessons. Uh, you're going to get good advice. Yeah, even now, do it. Yeah. Uh, go online, talk to your instructor. Uh, they're ready and ready, uh, willing to help you. Uh, it's not as if uh, they forgot you. No, they, no. Certainly didn't. Thanks again to Ted Bishop and David Phipps for joining us. Center and Saint is up next, and then it's the uh, reprisal of the 2014 Civil War uh, for OSN Classics today at 11. We'll talk to you next week. For Harold, I'm Jason. Thanks, Will. Hit him straight. The little bit of moisture, I'm guessing, that we got. Suck moisture out of the greens. Yeah, you're breathing water. How to make a golf course harder. One way is to add length. Squishy. So I'm sure they had her out beating balls until the the cows came out. To try and overcome. I do recommend you move it around. Fiji's in Europe. Uh, Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. (laughs) I know, right? I was worried we'd bring back the same team. Oh, no, I meant those blackout motorized shades. MVP of the room. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. Even you could do it. Nice. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. What, you fly across the country to do the install? Nope. Blinds.com can do it all. All she had to do was pick what she wanted. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Look at you, Hall of Fame son. Oh, I just picked the winning team. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Oh, Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. He shoots. He scores. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go right now for up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.